because uh, there seems to be this massive information asymmetry which you point to. A lot of people just don't have the time to read into how the chain works or do basic due diligence. In my point of view, there's certain attributes that blockchains really need to scale, being high throughput being one of them, parallelization being one of them. Yeah, that's a really nice segue talking about parallelization and the kind of design space there because that's exactly what drew us to it. I started building out just a quick prototype you know, we started brainstorming, what do we want to build? Settled on options because we're like, hey, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. What if we can bring that on chain? So we started building that out uh, on Ethereum, I guess. Uh, and it just did not scale. If you're trying to build real-time derivatives, you know, complex risk management, all that kind of stuff, just, just doesn't really work on Ethereum L1 and L2. Coming to Solana, that was when I think like a bit of a light bulb went off. Tristan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Uh, the founder of Zeta. Uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, we were talking slightly earlier. We've never kind of gotten to sit down and chat about what you're building. And so I think this is going to be a really fun deep dive. Yeah, looking forward to it. And thanks for having me. I want to kick it off, though. I feel like on the timeline, there's a true renaissance happening. I don't know if it's just me or kind of my Twitter bubble. Uh, there's a lot of kind of echo chambers that I would say, or maybe can reclassify now as x.com. Uh, mm -hmm. But I feel like truly there's a new shift going on, and especially in the Solana market, just Solana being the first high throughput network. There feels like there's a notable vibe change. Is that something that you also feel or am I just kind of making this up? No, there's, there's been a, a huge difference, I've got to say. Um, for context, I've been building in the Solana space for the last two and a half years. I think we got started roughly at the start of 2021. That was also, I think, a big hype period. We kind of went through that. Solana was the, the hot, hot thing on the block. Everyone was going crazy, wanting to invest, wanting to get in. Things were going parabolic. You know, Sabre was getting to billions of dollars in TVL. It was like pretty crazy. And then we went through this uh, this real bear market phase post FTX. Obviously, there was a lot of fallout. That was there. rough. That was, yeah, that was and, rough. And we had to be out there like the founders and like the power users of Solana having to like defend the chain and the apps on there and, you know, the kind of value proposition there. The 75 and, devs, um, we, we were carrying yeah, exactly. the torch. <laughs> so that was really tough going through that, especially as a founder, people just kind of dismiss you straight away. You get on calls with people, trading firms, stuff like that. And they're like, oh, Solana, never mind, you know, not interested. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's a bit of a, you know, dismissive take on things. Um, but it's interesting, like, you know, people have said this, the fundamentals haven't changed overnight. Like nothing has really changed other than people kind of the, the switch kind of flipped. They're like, okay, price going back up. People have flipped bullish on this thing. And suddenly people are bridging in. I'm getting DMs of people who are like, how do I bridge my money into Solana? I want to start using these, these apps in Solana. I want to get in there. Um, so it's been great to see. I mean, part of it, I think, is this airdrop narrative, which seems to be what brings like new usage to all these chains. Um, but I think it's like the inevitable cycles of crypto. You have the booms and the busts. Um, hopefully, we're we're seeing a bit of a renaissance right now. Yeah, no, it, it it is crazy. I mean, just being on the venture side, it's wild to me. Just talking with other funds, how fair weathered many funds and investors are, truly are. And I, I think to me, it's even highlighted the lack of kind of technical understanding uh, from the venture side to kind of be able to do the due diligence. Uh, on the technical underpinnings of the different architectures and how they work. And I mean, no doubt post FTX was miserable. It felt terrible. But 
I think now kind of coming through the other side, people have seen Solana's not going away, to your mm-hmm. point. The builders kept building. Uh, the narrative around the 75 devs was incorrect. Mm-hmm. The applications only got better. The network had better stability. And over time, it, things have just generally improved. And I think the narrative kind of around layer two is even optimism. I think putting out a post recently that they're seeing increased usage on an L2 where their fees are spiking. And that just really doesn't happen on a Solana type architecture. And so I I do slowly see you, others on the timeline kind of being uh, really fighting the good fight, not only for the products, but also for the ecosystem. And it's been amazing to see. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I think there are other, you know, great flag bearers out there. Like, you know, Mert has probably been the biggest one as of late, who's going out there and really defending, you know, tooth and nail um, Solana. I, I'm not quite as much of a maxi, but I've been building the space long enough that I think people should actually understand what's happening under the hood or kind of appreciate, because uh, there seems to be this massive a- information asymmetry, which you point to. A lot of people just don't have the time to read into how the chain works or do basic due diligence. Like people come up with the same arguments. It's like, oh, this is a SAM chain. It goes down, you know, it's only open nine to five. And then you actually pop open the Solana status page. And then you're like, oh, it's it's been up every second for the last six months. So like, I, I think that's kind of invalidated. 100%. And yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Don't be a maxi. I think in my point of view, there's certain attributes that blockchains really need to scale. Being, high throughput being one of them, parallelization being one of them. And I think... Solana being the first to really pioneer this new technology stack was massive. And it's been able to kind of capitalize on that with the community and having a very robust engineering ecosystem. But maybe before getting into a little bit of your background, I would love to just learn a little bit about why you decided to build Zeta ultimately on the Solana network stack. Yeah, that's a really nice segue talking about parallelization and the kind of design space there, because that's exactly what drew us to it. So we started, so I've been in crypto for maybe like five or six years at this point, but not full time, been full time closer to like two and a half, three years. Um, And so I used to work in like machine learning, engineering, data science, all that kind of stuff. Um, So it was like very hands-on technical with a lot of like quantitative research, uh, like AI, which is the hot thing now, but I was doing generative models before it was cool. Like that's what my thesis was on uh, like many years ago. So that was really interesting. And then, you know, crypto I saw as a really good opportunity to break into the startup space. I'd been interested in blockchain tech for a while, you know, actually did a bunch of my senior units in distributed systems. And it was something that was super interesting to me. Um, And then I'd kind of missed the wave on, I guess, uh, DeFi summer, what's happening with smart contracts. Because if you remember back in the 2017 days, like there wasn't very much innovation happening there. It was maybe like- Yeah, a lot of ICOs. There were like very nascent projects like Kyber, which were doing on-chain DEXs, but that was basically like unheard of and they had no volume. And it was funny, like very backwards, like you had to, actually pay yourself to market make and do all these weird things apparently i don't know it was just very very strange um and so i started listening to more of like you know what vitalik was talking about what a bunch of other people were talking about and it was all smart contracts DeFi, composability um and so i started building out just a quick prototype you know we, we started brainstorming what do we want to build you know is it fixed rate lending like i guess what pendle is doing now to, to great success uh we kind of pivoted away from that looking into like Herps, options, all these things, settled on options because we're like, hey, it's a 
multi-trillion dollar industry. What if we can bring that on chain? Um, feels pretty useful, good kind of risk management hedging tools. So we started building that out uh, on Ethereum, I guess. Uh, and it just did not scale. If you're trying to build real-time derivatives, you know, complex risk management, all that kind of stuff just, just doesn't really work on Ethereum L1 and L2s. Like we talked to Arbitrum years ago and like they just weren't launched, weren't ready. Um, and coming to Solana, that was when I think like a bit of a light bulb went off. I, I got on a call with, with Tolly and he's just talking about, you know, elliptic key cryptography and, you know, PDA bump seeds and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, this guy's pretty smart. Seems to know his, his stuff pretty well um, and could answer a bunch of our questions. And I started digging into the docs and there were like no docs back then. Um, it was it was pretty painful. There was one like escrow example. You just had to literally chew glass, which is where I guess the, the kind of meme came from. So that was a fun exercise. And we started building on there before Anchor was out, ended up using that. And we we kind of built out this this uh, options platform, which we ran for kind of a year, um, which did you know pretty well. We were the first one to write like this Black Shoals options pricing implementation. And we could do it fully on chain, which I think was... Pretty ingenious. We used like a bunch. Yeah, we used a bunch of like mathematical tricks, like kind of tricks that you learn from, I guess, like hardware and computing stuff, um, just to minimize the compute units. And we could do like all these logarithms and you know crazy equations on chain that you know you would never think or even dream of doing on you know a chain like Ethereum. And then um, I think the thing that really drew me to Solana at the end of the day was the the parallelism and, and throughput and how it scales. So. Having come from machine learning, engineering, data science, AI, all this kind of stuff, everything is executed, paralyzed on GPUs. You have these massive batches and it's all about like, if you were to run something on a simple Python script on your CPU, um, you wouldn't get very far. You wouldn't be able to trade in this huge like language models or anything for that matter. It's all about parallelization. And so I kind of appreciated that having used, you know, all these distributed computing technologies like Spark and all these things. And I then I came to that. Solana. That is the yep. most like misunderstood thing. Like Moore's law in some sense is kind of dying in the amount of transistors mm -hmm. that you can like put on a single chip. Uh, it's, I mean, Apple, I think they're in like two or three nanometer, like very, very tiny, but all, all the gains have really come from parallelism and being added additional cores to the chips. Uh, and as you mentioned, you, the more cores and the more things that you can paralyze, uh, the more workloads you can do. And so I, I find it fascinating that people still in like the blockchain world or predominantly in the Ethereum world don't understand this. Maybe I think it was just like a different architecture uh, design there much earlier, but it's it still fascinates me that they're not trying to incorporate some amount of parallelism into their protocol. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I see Monad basically trying to rewrite the EVM and do it in like a parallel way, which is I'm pretty excited to see there's still not that much information, but that's some steps in the right direction. And I think it's yep. a great model. Like if you have two DEXs that don't share state, like why should they be kind of doing this right locking and kind of have contention with one another? They should just be able to operate independently. And so far, like it's it's been working pretty great. The throughput is great. And now that they've more or less solved the um, the fee market stuff, it's still not perfect, but it works quite well. I remember I, I put out a tweet because uh, Tolly was asking all the DeFi builders, like, what happened, you know, when the market ripped with Bonk? They're like, did it affect any of your systems? And I looked at our TPS graph and any of, like, failed transactions on our decks, and it, it was just basically like a blip or something, like, insignificant. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing. You know, the all this on-chain congestion and transaction volume happened, and there was just 
no fallout compared to back in the day an IDO would launch on Radium and it would bring down the whole chain like every time. That was quite frustrating. There, there's been many uh, network upgrades were, which we're very appreciative of uh, and I'm sure on the building side. So I, I think with Zeta, I mean, you obviously have like a very large ambition and a lot of bringing, I would say, unlike a larger scale, just bringing kind of the TradFi world on chain. Can you kind of dive a little bit deeper into like the grand vision and what you're trying to do um, at Zeta Markets? Yeah, sure thing. So we really want to build, I guess, the ultimate trading experience on chain. Um, so we kind of started off with these very complex derivatives. And we think that's where a lot of the price discovery happens. Like we're, we're more focused on perps and stuff like that now being the most liquid instrument in crypto. I think derivatives as per the last kind of jump report that I read does more than 50% of all volume uh, in crypto markets. So it's always like taking over, you know, volume market share from from spot, which I think is how markets mature. If you probably look at Wall Street in the early days, I'm sure it was all, you know, equities and spot trading and moves towards derivatives, options, all this really complex stuff. Um, that's where you get leverage. Uh, that's where you get, you know, obviously capital efficiency, price uh, discovery, all these kind of things, which is great. So we're trying to focus on derivatives first, but eventually we want to be Basically, the, the full suite, we want to have uh, like perps, options, uh, potentially futures, spot, hope, maybe lending at some point, but it, it would be nice to have that all under the one roof. Um, so far, it's just perps. It's been going well. We're building it on chain because we think, you know, at the moment, that's the way to go. And Solana kind of un unlocks quite a lot of potential there. Um, you get big benefits versus what you see in traditional finance. Traditional finance is, works great, right? It's Lindy. It's been around for a long time, but... Markets are only open certain hours. Uh, it's kind of difficult to get involved. Uh, there's like lots of middlemen, right? Taking fees on all this kind of stuff. It's run on legacy infrastructure from, you know, probably 70s and 80s and who knows. Um, then you get CeFi, centralized crypto finance, Binance and all these guys, you know, great products. They run 24-7 markets on crypto, but they're a complete black box. Who knows what they're doing with their risk management, with their balance sheet. You obviously saw this with FTX, you know, they were basically committing fraud in the background and it blew up big time in their face. Um, whereas DeFi, the great thing is everything is on this public ledger. You can audit everything. It's very transparent. You can kind of see what's happening in the order books. So we think that's kind of the way to go. Transparency and then hopefully composability, lots of people building on top of these primitives. Um, and then it's just, you know, it's similar to the grand vision of Serum, which was like one core order book where all the liquidity funnels into and you just become that protocol layer. It's just APIs and front ends into all this stuff and you actually share the liquidity. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I, I do, I, I love the vision of being, have everything on chain and really, as you mentioned, that audibility piece and just that full mm -hmm. transparency. And I think when you combine that with the fact that you have self-custody, when especially on a chain like Solana where you have composability as well, you get a lot of magic that can potentially happen. And I, I would still say in these giant kind of global single state machines uh, like Solana, the composability, in my opinion, is still early. It's going to take effect eventually, but uh, the teams are all still really building and kind of figuring out how to build their product and kind of go from zero to one. And then you can add the composability piece. And I'm super excited to see once the teams have kind of built out their products, how they can really integrate with others to uniquely leverage each other. 
Yeah, that's right. I think you're seeing a lot of teams still vertically integrating at the moment and just building the stack. Like, to be honest, that's sort of what we're doing because I think things are still very nascent. You kind of have to go from like the, the Rust smart contract all the way up to the end user and build the whole user interface. And you can't really rely too much on external teams. But I think over time that will change. You're already seeing it happening in like AMMs on Solana. You've got maybe like 10 different AMMs and you've got Jupyter just slapped on the top as the aggregator. And I just don't use AMMs themselves anymore. Like I always go to Jupyter. It finds me the best prices. It's got the best interface. It just works incredibly well. And I think you're going to see this happen more and more. It's a bit harder in derivatives because you have leverage and things like that. So you can't just like wrap up tokenized risk and just ship it off somewhere else. Like there, there is some kind of, you know, uh, warehousing of risk and, and figuring out how to deal with that. Um, but I think it takes time. And, you know, I'm looking forward to this new wave, hopefully, of builders uh, coming into the ecosystem. Like, obviously, it dried out a bit in the in the bear market, but I think more hackathons and more opportunities, people will come back. And now there will be established primitives for all these different, you know, financial use cases that people can build on. 100%. And to that, I mean, maybe going back to the Solana component uh, a little bit more, I mean, you talked about some of the issues kind of with the radio IDO taking down the Solana network. Obviously, that's very problematic for DeFi anytime you have like network outages. Uh, and Solana kind of continued to iterate over time. You also talked about different compute limits, uh, the read and write locks contentions. For the technical side of the audience, can you talk a little bit about how you have to design the protocol in a highly parallelized system to be able to kind of take advantage of that throughput that it does offer? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, a lot of the details, I guess, are sort of handled under the hood um, for the most part, I guess, in terms of how it's reading and writing. You do have to do a bit more overhead. For example, the read-write sets, when you do post a transaction um, or like an instruction, you have to specify essentially what accounts you're reading and writing to. Um, and then it can basically just figure out like, oh, are these, like if you're familiar with distributed systems, you know, and you're writing to account A and account B, you kind of had to schedule them or single thread that in a sense, or like the order matters. Whereas if they're just like not overlapping, you can kind of touch them independently. So that's a bit of overhead for the developer. You got to basically specify all the accounts ahead of time and you got to basically label them as read only uh, or read write. Um, so that's a bit of overhead on the dev. Uh, it's not too bad though. And I know Aptos and stuff are trying to do like optimistic uh, yep. version of this essentially where you don't have to pass it in. Uh, I don't know if that's the most the efficient way. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that goes. To be honest, we haven't found it that bad. The thing that's maybe been a bit of a pain with Solana is uh, it used to have very limited uh, account limits. And this actually blocked a lot of innovation for us and other teams for like a very, very long time. Because I think... Uh, what is it? Your public keys are 32 bytes, I'm pretty sure. And you can only really fit maybe 35 or so into like the, I don't know, one megabyte limit or whatever they have on transactions. Um, so that was always a blocker for us. We would always be, you know, capped by the amount of accounts you could do it, put in. And when we were trying to do all this really complex option stuff back in the day, we couldn't do like cross margin or things like that because we just had too many accounts. Um, now shaving that down to just perps, it's been way easier. Plus Solana came out with this... Uh, really cool update called uh, account lookup tables. So instead of passing in 32 byte public key, all you do is you pass in like a U8 index essentially. Uh, so a number zero to 255, I guess. And um, that just like looks up on like a account that's on chain. And then you can actually fetch the, uh, the public key or the account from there. So instead of passing the actual big, you know, lot of bytes, you're just looking up things on chain, which is, you know, pretty elegant design. 
so and it works you, great. We can do we ju- we just uh, wrote up cross margin and it's shipping in like two weeks. Works awesome. beautifully. Con- I've just been trying it out. Yeah. Congrats. So you said you're predominantly kind of focused on perps, uh, eh, but f- future want to continue to expand. Would things like Fire Dancer kind of unlock more of that? Are you today kind of limited by the underlying network? Or is it more so just like as a team, there's a certain amount of priorities that you guys have to focus on to just make wonderful experiences and purposes today, the thing that you're focusing on to make sure that it's perfect for the user aspect? Yeah, it's a great question. I guess there's, there's kind of two threads to pull on there. One is like which instruments you offer. And then one is just like the general scalability of the exchange, you know, uh, on-chain versus off-chain, stuff like that. In terms of instruments, like, yeah, we started off as a options platform. I think options are super cool and have a lot of potential. Um, however, it's like the, the the bitter lesson, I guess, for founders is you really got to um, work where the demand is on, on the kind of uh, on the demand side rather than just build products because you think they're cool. Um, and I think we came out there with the thesis that, hey, it's a trillion, multi-trillion dollar industry in TradFi. Why shouldn't we put this on chain? And then we come to on chain and build it in DeFi and... There's just very few people that know or are confident in trading options. And it's also extremely hard to get liquidity because um, the way options works, instead of a perp, which is like a sole perp, you get a futures, I guess, are the next step. Futures have different expiries. So you'll have sole perp ending, you know, end of July or end of 2023. So suddenly fragmentation into like uh, T markets, I guess, for all these different time periods. And then you've got all these strikes uh, for options. So it's like maybe sole $20 or the sole $30 or $40 strike. So you've got T times, you know, K strikes. So suddenly we had just for like the three markets, BTC, Sol, ETH, um, we were trying to support like 150 independent markets that all had to be market made. So it was just this nightmare for market makers. And then you're having to do it on chain on Solana where you have like kind of slow round trip times. Like it's still in the couple of hundred milliseconds, which is a ways away from from what people are used to with Binance and their which 20 is, second like which is crazy though times. compared to other L1s and L2s but yeah. I, I do agree that's right but um so far it works pretty well like the perps thing is really nice because we've aggregated that liquidity and to be honest you saw with serum like it was it was you know passing a billion dollars of volume a day you know back in its peak uh we've done like tens of millions uh of of volume on our exchange and it's not broken a sweat like it's it's done it super easily and it's really like a demand problem of like we need more users in solana because our decks can can easily support i think 10 probably 100x more volume than it does now like the the infra is really scalable and we've definitely not maxed out like or saturated the the bandwidth of solana at the moment so that's been going well i'm pretty pretty excited for that when you talk about i guess competing with binance like there's still maybe some question marks around that uh providing liquidity is the hardest thing on chain right now you know people are obviously the amm route is very popular people are doing hybrid amm order book trying to come up with all this funky stuff you know batch auctions you name it um so we've been kind of exploring other designs you know dydx is like a interesting one i don't know if you really call that like a full decentralized exchange but they kind of do this hybrid model that obviously scales super well and has the benefits of very fast execution and kind of matching, uh, albeit in like a somewhat off-chain manner. But then you're doing all the kind of custody of assets. You're doing all the settlement on chains. Everything's transparent. You don't have the rug risk of an FTX. Um, Maybe in the meantime, that is like a decent solution or kind of design uh, until, you know, these networks get really fast. Um, And I am very hopeful for Fidancer. Like 
ByteDancer will dramatically increase throughput. Anatoly said they might bring down block times to 200 milliseconds now, if that's kind of possible. So that will be huge. Like, you know, you're starting, starting to get very fast, like hitting up the uh, the speed of light around the world. So I, I think I measured it, uh, ran some calculations, and it was like 133 milliseconds to do a global round trip. And then I nice. think uh, once you get the 200 millisecond block times, if they're able to do introduce multiple leaders, then you can have leaders per continent. Uh, mm. And so maybe you can cut that down again to like 100 milliseconds um, or less. So definitely interesting. I, yeah. I fully agree. We're kind of just at the tip of what is possible, but I, I think that's the exciting part. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's like innovation is crazy. I remember seeing Kevin Bowles' talk uh, last year at Breakpoint that kind of blew my mind. I'm like, this guy who's built literal supercomputers and, you know, is now working a jump on these HFT trading systems. They're just optimizing every line of code on this thing. Like they're going and rewriting networking libraries and stuff so they can just squeeze every iota of performance out of these things. And I'm like, who's doing this in crypto? Like everyone's talking about DAOs and governance and public goods and you know all these random things like admittedly zk and all this kind of stuff is pretty cool as well but no one is just taking the putting their engineering hat on and just being like how do we optimize the living crap out of this thing and just make it really really scalable so i kind of love that approach tristan you're leaking too much alpha i think uh i saw the fire dancer demo that they did recently in one of their talks and i think it was doing like four or five million tps per core um and it wow. scales linearly they were doing 20 gigabits worth of traffic and they were saturating the line which was pretty crazy to me but yeah I, to your point uh i think twitter is very likes to follow the the current thing and mm. i think solana is kind of getting its day in light and i think really that's an testament to teams like yourself that have really put the blood sweat and tears uh, through the ups, but also through the painful bear market and through kind of all the stuff that happened to FTX to really get us to the side. For, so more applaud to you because a network uh, in and of itself is not too useful. It's really the applications that will ultimately get put on there. So I yeah. think, I mean, we kind of touched a little bit upon like DeFi versus CeFi. I mean, the market's in the TradFi world are just absolutely massive. Uh, you kind of talked about a lesson for founders and particularly being more focused on what users need today. And I think there's kind of a lesson in of that in of itself. But could you maybe just dive a little bit deeper into, I mean, you were talking about ultimately doing perps, options were a little bit harder. And you're kind of in state of what you want Zeta markets to be. Do you have kind of a global vision of what it could become? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I think we focused a lot on the tech in the kind of early days. Uh, that's still obviously developing. I think I've become very much like a UX and accessibility maxi now. Um, I think just using a lot of these DeFi products, especially the really good ones, for example, Jupyter, um, I think the barrier to entry is like once you have a wallet, obviously the, the barrier to entry and the usability is incredible versus centralized exchanges. Like I simply don't use my Binance account or any of these things anymore because it's like I have to log in, I have to 2FA, I have to go through their very confusing, you know, navigation page and that kind of stuff. I just want to like buy Sol or whatever it might be, you know, buy some Ethereum. It's it's really a bit of a pain. Um, and I just think a lot of the designs have been stuck in like 20, 2018. Um, so it's really good to see new blood in there, especially with DeFi. The UX has admittedly been pretty 
bad to date for a lot of DeFi apps. Like the first one is just like the fact that most chains have been super slow and people just haven't experienced what it is to have a fast, super cheap chain. Um, people don't I kind of aching kind of, it to uh, dial up to broadband and then fiber optics. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's like uh, when you're trying to dial into AOL the first time, you just were like, all right, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then finally you get online versus broadband and fiber optics. I mean, you hit the button and it's almost like the transaction pretty much confirms instantaneously. That's right. Yeah, not to, not to uh, I guess, dunk on Ethereum, but the first time I think I did on-chain transactions and like had a self-custody wallet, you know, bunch of years ago when I was still like a poor uni student, I, I went through there and I just tried to do a swap on Uniswap and the, the gas fees were so high. I'm like, wow, it's like, I don't know, $10, $20 or something other. I'm like, for me, that's actually a lot of money. Um, and it's just very annoying. Like every single interaction I do, I have to like approve some kind of, you know, balance or, or this or that, or like spend limit. It kind of eats into, you know, the $100 swap that you wanted to do. Like it's just gone at that point. Uh, and it takes like minutes to confirm my wallet. And I'm like, oh, this isn't, that fun. And then my light bulb moment with Solana is just like we were, you know, setting up our stuff. I needed to 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 pay someone as like a contractor. I just sent them USDC. It was confirmed in like three seconds probably. Um, and I paid basically like a rounding error in fees. And I'm like, okay, this feels like the future. Like this is this is pretty cool. Um, yeah, the, yeah we're, the, we're trying to definitely the latency definitely helps. I mean, but to your point, like earlier, I, I definitely agree. I, I think the UI UX is cumbersome or could can be cumbersome even just setting up wallets can be a little bit of a challenge onboarding into an exchange just to be able to get your money off kind of a centralized exchange into like the DeFi landscape can be hard if there was any particular pain point out of those or others that you think is the biggest thing kind of holding back the industry what do you think that would be Oh, it's a good question. I think number one is probably just liquidity. It's hard to trade on these like on-chain exchanges just because of the latency and the fact that all these kind of regular market makers need to completely rewrite their stack to worry about soft forks and things like that. Like it's pretty difficult. Um, hopefully like more and more people you're seeing, I think getting familiar with this, deploying on-chain strategies, stuff like that. So I, I'm hoping that's like a, a solved problem. And I know given traders, if there's money there, they will, you know, <laughs> they will go over there and they will build the systems um, if there's money to be made. So not too worried about that long term. I think wallets are the other big one. Um, it's, it's just like pretty painful, I think, for people to deal with seed phrases and set up these things. Like I've, I've hung out with a bunch of my like normal non-crypto friends and I've been like, hey, you want to onboard and test out our product? And then I'm like, I have to go through the mental cycles of, okay, you need to get like a phantom or backpack or Soulflare wallet you know choose which one you want you got to store your seed phrase and write that down on a piece of paper then you got to on ramp so you got to get a centralized exchange or you got to go through some like fiat on ramp you know decentralized one which you know takes a clip on you know whatever you're kind of on ramping there or i need to send you money so now you've got money in your account you need to log into the thing you need to sign some transactions you need to open accounts like it's 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 a bit of a painful process i gotta say um so i'm looking forward to things like gasless transactions will be pretty cool or where you can pay them in uscc or any kind of other tokens um something that we're trying to solve right now is the fact that you've got to sign every single transaction um when you interact with the DeFi app so i guess that goes to the 
the what's all the rage now in Ethereum, which is account abstraction. And Solana has more or less had this for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. So we're trying to do stuff like potentially like ephemeral session keys. So if you need a deposit and withdraw into our exchange, you'd sign for it. But if you just want to place trades under a certain kind of uh, amount, you just wouldn't have to sign for it. Uh, we'd be able to figure out ways, um, hopefully securely, that, that people can trade without this kind of friction. And this is a big one. Like someone comes from a centralized exchange or they're from like a trading firm. They're like, man, I, I saw the price flash off on the order book. I wanted to grab it. And I had to, this wallet pops up. I got to sign it. I got to do all these things. Uh, it's, mm. it's kind of painful. Yeah. On the, on the market making side, I do think it's interesting just talking with now quite a few different AMMs and also uh, people that are building order books. Uh, I think the entire trading world, definitely in the TradFi world, is really centered around uh, order books and the ability to market make. And we've had years and years of teams that have put a lot of energy and effort, engineering prowess into understanding how to market make, uh, kind of routing toxic flow versus non-toxic flow and all of that. How do you feel like on the market making side, building things on chain or I think you kind of mentioned it a little bit. It's a little bit harder because they have to kind of either rewrite their systems or just understand the crypto world. When you're talking with potential market makers, do you feel like they're kind of grasping kind of either the crypto landscape or do you feel like they're trying to shoehorn their old systems into the crypto world? Yeah, it really depends, I think, on the size of the firm. I think we probably somewhat made a mistake trying to work with the big name firms off the bat. And these guys, obviously, you know, they're, they're pretty well off. I think they're just looking for opportunities to make money. They're across like hundreds of exchanges. So they're a bit less willing to put in the time and effort to integrate and build something that really works. Um, and I think, you know, it is a much more democratized playing ground when you come to DeFi. Essentially, anyone can deploy uh, you don't have to worry about co-location and all these tricks that, you know, HFT market makers have up their sleeves. So I was talking to one of the the better market makers on on the Solana side. And yeah, this, you know, his background, you know, he's coming to market making and he's already kind of picking off jump on open book and stuff like that, which is pretty impressive that, you know, a single guy can kind of compete with big trading firms uh, on these on, on-chain order books. Um, and I think to your point, yeah, a lot of these big firms are kind of complacent. They come in there, they're like, here's our trading stack, here's our risk management system. We just kind of wrap it in like the SDK that the, you know, the DEX has provided us and we just call it a day. Um, and that usually isn't like super successful. You saw... Teams like Alameda, I think, as well, probably trying to market make hundreds of projects back in the Solana early days. They were losing money on Serum and all these other exchanges because they just didn't invest, I think, the 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 kind of technical expertise and like develop their systems any further. They just kind of, you know, market made it a loss. Um, but you're seeing more people now, I think, coming in there, independent people, smaller shops that are super hungry and actually doing really well on chain, you know, and they're they're looking at, this, I feel like a different race going on. It's not like, how do we have the, the lowest latency? How do we build FPGAs and build, you know, these kind of like really low latency systems and co-located and put in the same position? It's like, now you're dealing with fixed blocks, essentially. You're thinking about MEV and these other kind of things that happen on chain. You're starting to look at GTO and how you can bundle transactions and do funky stuff there. Cross-exchange, atomic arbitrage, all these super cool things. So. Yeah, hopefully the the tooling gets a bit better and people get more comfortable. But I think there's you know definitely opportunity there, and I'm hoping more people get involved. Yeah, it, it is super interesting. I mean, you have to the things that you really have to kind of understand on a deep level. Uh, 
is pretty pretty high. Uh, the as you mentioned, like the block space, just MEV <laughs> bundling your transactions. It it is a high hurdle, but I think this industry that's really being created by you, the team, the Solana ecosystem will bring new players into the market that may have not had a chance that can kind of remake themselves in a more crypto native way, which I think is truly exciting. Yeah, definitely. It's uh no, it, it, it's a wild space. I think just being so early, you can kind of make, you have the opportunity to really kind of make the space where you want. And I think you and the Zeta team are really kind of a testament to that. I think there is a slight kind of like uphill battle to like acquiring users, uh, especially I think on the DeFi side, just because of some of the issues that we've kind of mentioned with either higher latencies compared to the TradFi world or just understanding different markets, how they work. I think today, if you ask kind of the crypto native person uh, what Solana is used for, and they'll predominantly say NFTs, which I think are great in the form of kind of getting that community or an organic traction started, but then it has to continue into real world applications, DeFi being one of those, games being one of those. What do you think will kind of further crypto adoption outside of kind of the DeFi lens? It's a great question. That's probably been top of mind for the last year for me. Building in a bear market, I think it's all about how do you grow adoption? And I think our tech stack, you know, got kind of pretty mature over that time. And it's like, how much more can you innovate on chain? Um, and how, how much do people care about, you know, tweaking little aspects of your order book and cranking out every little piece of performance? Like at a certain point, it really doesn't matter, I don't think. Um, and so, yeah, it was tough building on Solana, especially during that kind of DeFi bear. It went from the original vision that we got bought into where Anatoly was like, we're building NASDAQ on chain. This is the future. And suddenly DJ and apes and all these like NFT projects started popping off. And then it turns out, hey, it's like mostly retail people using this chain because it's fast and cheap. NFTs are the hot thing. That became the new narrative is, is NFTs are big. And uh, I think Solana put a lot of its weight behind that. And DeFi just kind of got left on the sidelines a bit. It's just like, where's our support? Uh, and everyone kind of migrated over to the NFT side. You know, it was really hot with all the exchanges going crazy. Um, but then I think, you know, NFTs have been cool. Like, I think they'll stick around for a long time. Uh, the hype's kind of died down a little bit and people are like, okay, made all this money. What do I do with it? You know, can I put my capital to work? And it comes back to DeFi again. Same with gaming, I'm sure. You know, if you have in-game economies, you need DeFi. You need ways to utilize these tokens, lend them, trade them. Um, and so it's been it's been tough being on, I guess, like somewhat of a NFT chain or what's ended up being a bit of an NFT chain versus looking at things like Arbitrum, where you have all the GMXs and big platforms and these guys kind of killing it. They have all these whales on ETH that have just bridged, you know, probably billions of dollars in there. They're placing like massive trades. You really don't see that in Solana at the moment. I think all the whales that are there tend to be NFT people. And so that, that was kind of our working hypothesis going into this uh, building this Mad Wars campaign experience, essentially, where we're like... Uh, Where's the capital in Solana? We like crunch some numbers and we're like, it seems like a lot of these big value players either have their money staked, you know, they're probably a VC, so they, they just have big soul bags that are staked and not productive, not used. Um, hopefully G2 soul and liquid staking kind of solves that a bit. And then you have NFT people who are just like putting a lot of this money into NFTs. Uh, you don't tend to have these DeFi whales because I don't think there were many good, you know, yield opportunities on Solana 
uh, admittedly over the last year. Um, so we launched this Mad Wars competition. We were like, how do we tap into the NFT crowd? How do we get them trading or kind of engage that part of Solana that is actually completely disjoint, I think, from the DeFi side? Um, you talk to these NFT people and they're like, I don't know any of the DeFi projects. I don't use them. You know, it's just like completely alien to me. I don't know if that's because they came in during that NFT boom after the the kind of DeFi boom and they just missed it completely or maybe it's not even on their radar. Um so the TLDR on what we built was like a social trading comp, like you're used to with like a Binance leaderboard, you know, you're ranked on your PL say, but we made it, we, we kind of put an interesting twist on it, which is if you've minted this Mad Lad, which is uh, this kind of a uh, like NFT collection built by, you know, Armani and Tristan, really popular, people love it. It's got like a diehard fan base of, you know, a couple of thousand holders. It's awesome. Um, based on the trait you have, say if you're in the skulls or the galaxies or all these different ones, we basically place you in a team. And we kind of aggregate these teams and we look at like the team PNL as well as the individual PNL. So there's this social effect or this network effect where people in the skulls are like, you know, we need to trade together. We need to build up our PNL. We need to beat the galaxies, you know, like screw those guys. We need to, we need to beat them on the, on the leaderboard. And so people are coming in there. It's a really good kind of vibe. People are getting in the discord. People are talking about trading strategies together and it makes DeFi and trading a lot more social. Uh, and that's kind of the issue I've had with trading is it's very much a single player game. If you want to phrase it from like the gamification perspective, you come in there, put a bit of money in, you trade, it's very isolated, you know, either you make or you lose money, you withdraw it, end of, end of story. Whereas now you're seeing with with Twitter, I think it's pretty cool. Like people post charts, people discuss st strategies. It's actually got a big social element. So the more that we can integrate that into the product through leaderboards or gamification or we even added like a discord uh troll box or like chat so people can actually like talk within the app about their trading strategies that's been really good for retention and just getting more people bought in yeah it is it's fascinating how many people have really got into trading and i don't know i'm sure there is a large trading community outside of crypto but it seems that really the global nature of crypto combined with vast majority of things ultimately have tokens has really brought together the trading community uh, in a way that I haven't seen before. And like you said, kind of either posting tweets or discords or these group chats, the trading communities are really vibrant. And I do think going forward, just that social feature and kind of being able to spot things earlier than others, that trend will only continue as kind of the world becomes more financialized. And so it rather ingenious to start incorporating some of those features now. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the kind of vision for us or the vision, what I was thinking was you have these, you know, you see social media and you see apps like Robinhood and kind of financial stuff. And I think seeing this, slight convergence with how people are adding crypto payments into Twitter or other applications. And I think eventually like they, they will start to converge. You've obviously got, you know, web three social media. I've been using like Farcaster and lens a little bit and playing around with that. I think that would be really nice if you were able to kind of like meld those two worlds together. You have a timeline, you know, Ansem goes up there and he's like, this is my kind of TA for, for Bitcoin. I reckon it's going to rip at 28.5 K. And you have like a link or some kind of a, uh, on-chain functionality that you can copy his trade directly in your favorite decks or something like that. You can start trading it. And then you have like a, a nice uh, effect there where we can do like revenue share. So whoever they copied the trade from or got the idea from, 
if the if the guy kind of profits off that trade, we give him like a 5% rebate back. And so these influencers or these kind of social media personalities can actually make a living off, you know, doing trade signals. And it actually incentivizes them to be profitable because then they make their followers money, the good ones get paid more, and then hopefully it's like a reinforcing thing. Um, but that feels pretty novel. I don't know who's done that. Um, I think some people are trying, but yeah, it still feels early. It's definitely early. And I mean, even regards kind of to the liquidity aspect, I think people often forget. I mean, I was around and stuck around after 2017 throughout the bear market for Ethereum. And Ethereum's CVL was very tiny. I remember watching it cross a billion and thinking like, holy shit, this, this is wild. And it obviously ballooned, but I think a lot of that was just kind of the general wealth effect that Ethereum had from uh, Ethereum itself going from $80 to 4000 to the 2000 or 1800 where it sits at now. And I fully expect Solana to have a similar wealth effect where these whales will be in the Solana ecosystem. Uh, and it's really built kind of throughout that hardship Uh and so there's a growing community. It's great to see people like interact with things on chain, whether it's DeFi or NFTs. And I only expect that to continue to grow. And I think that's the thing that I'm generally the most excited about. I mean, when I kind of came into the crypto ecosystem is anybody like yourself could ultimately build any of these protocols. It's cheap real like relatively to kind of building rockets or <laughs> buying a bunch of ai chips to for compute uh you could just write it um in your studio apartment and anybody could ultimately access it and then that code could de be deployed and used by hundreds of millions and ultimately billions of people and when you have that level of scale and uh, the open innovation, I think that's where you start to really see something magical happen. And I think truly the foundation is currently being laid. So uh, the bull market, next bull market will be very fun. That's right. Yeah, that's what blew my mind with a lot of this blockchain technology, especially these kind of newer chains like Solana. You just have this incredible resource of write a bit of code, deploy this smart contract. It kind of runs on this distributed network of 2000 computers. Like you don't have to worry about AWS or the hosting or anything uh, and then it just like sinks state around the world so you have this one kind of ledger store you know ground truth um and you just worry about the application code like how you're kind of sending and receiving transfers and accounting for balances you don't have to worry about anything under the hood um so i think it's great for new devs to get in there and start writing smart contracts and building applications um it's it's pretty like incredible resource and then i think the thing with this bull market is now block space is hopefully going to be abundant you know Solana has fixed a lot of the throughput issues. Ethereum is moving to this kind of roll-up centric roadmap where I think, you know, a lot of these new chains, Arbitrum, Optimism or whatever, um, will be able to have, I mean, it's a bit of a meme, but like, you know, these L3s and app chains and whatever. So you can really parameterize it and customize it however you want. So I don't think we're going to have these like crypto kitty moments where, you know, the entire block space of the L1 is saturated and you can't have these massive consumer apps, you know, just bringing down chains and, you know, Maybe we'll see something that truly scales to millions of users, uh, you know, or like tens of millions, hundreds of millions this cycle, um, which I'd be really excited for. Likewise, I 100% agree. I, I think to that point, I mean, we've talked a little bit about some other chains. What's kind of your view set as an engineer on some of the tribalism in the space? 
what's your view on kind of choosing one L1 or L2 versus another? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, from a builder perspective, I think you really want to just choose the tools that get the job done the best. Like, I think that makes perfect sense. If you're a product, you know, you're too you rational. Choose this. Yeah, exactly. You choose the the kind of tech stack and the software technology that gets the job done and lets you build the best product. I try and be product first as much as I can, where it's like, this is the vision for what I want to build. Let's choose the the chain, the technology, you know, all the design choices based around that to, to kind of fulfill that. At, at the time that we started, it was definitely uh, Solana for that kind of stuff. Um, we're seeing a lot of new innovation coming up and, you know, I'm trying to keep abreast of that. You know, I've been to my first ETH conference and it's interesting to talk to a lot of these people and figure out what they're building. Like I try and be very conscious that I'm not like narrow minded and kind of in the, in the, in the kind of a, uh, you know, the, the tunnel of Solana tunnel vision and not being able to see what else is, is out there. Um, but I think also the kind of systemic problem that crypto and crypto builders and, and projects and whatever have is like this short termism where it's like new chain comes up. It's like, okay, free money. We're going to get grants. We're going to be able to like go to new chain. Let's just take our, you know, EVM smart contract and let's redeploy it on like new EVM compatible chain. Uh, and I'm not really like a fan of that. I think that's just like not a great way to build a sustainable ecosystem. It's like, let's just jump on the new hot thing. Let's get a bunch of users. Let's pump the TVL up. And then it's the same old product again that we've just rehashed. Uh, once the incentives dry up, boom, you're kind of back to square one again, which is not that interesting. Uh, and you've seen this happen kind of over and over, but it's good to see, hopefully, especially with the builders on Solana, they've been around for two years. A lot of them have stuck it out. You know, people are starting to innovate more. Stuff is kind of peaking up. Likewise, with Ethereum, people have kind of stuck to their guns there, at least on Ethereum. I think the like new rollups that are popping up there, you don't need too many changes to your smart contract. So it kind of really unlocks a bit more innovation for them there. Um, but I think end of the day, uh, yeah, there shouldn't be so much tribalism. I think there naturally is because you have bags in whatever it is. Whereas if you're in Web2, you're not like AWS bag holder. It's actually like a, it's like a bad thing, right? Like the the lock-in they give you, they're like, here's your 100K of credits, come use AWS or GCP, <laughs> come in there, lock in your system, and then you can't move anywhere. Um, but in crypto, people like, they're like, I'm the Arbitrum Maxi, I'm the Solana Maxi, you know, this is my chain, I'm going to like defend it on Twitter. Um, it is and it's kind of good, you need to, you need I, some spokespeople, right? And some people yeah. to stand up and like explain the technology. But some people, I think just, you know, they, they go a bit too hard where they're like, I won't listen to whatever else is happening and like, this is the true vision and everyone else is wrong, which I'm not a fan of. I, I truly believe that everybody ultimately sees the promise of the technology mm. and everybody knows that there hasn't been that like breakout app that has been like really gotten to kind of mainstream adoption, kind of like Fortnite levels or chat GPT, mm -hmm. where it's just like, holy shit, like this is happening and it's what everybody's talking about. And it's kind of a race and everybody's trying to either vie for engineers or eyeballs or VC dollars. And I think in general, people are pretty good at kind of grabbing attention. I think truly though, the thing that's ultimately going to separate them is the engineering ability to actually scale and then for engineers to effectively utilize that scale to build something that can actually <laughs> enhance people's lives from the product perspective and i think as soon as that happens there will be less tribalism because people will be like oh shit like this is actually like taking off like i want my application to be used i'm going to build on that chain
Yeah, hundred percent. And I think at the end of the day, like that should all be abstracted from the from the user. Like whether you're on chain A or chain B, like I guess it's important, but it's also like an implementation detail. And if you look at something that's like some of the ones that are more successful, I would say things like Stepn was pretty fun to use in the day. Yep. Uh, even though they kind of like custodied your assets somewhat and they provisioned you the wallet, like that was a much nicer UX. And I think if they didn't do that, they probably wouldn't have got nearly the success that they would have had. If it was like, bring your own phantom wallet and do this and that, people would have been like, God, what is this? This is like too confusing. But they hid that. It's just like an app that you download on the app store. You do a bit of running, you earn you know, these, these tokens and you kind of move on with your life. Um, and I don't think like half the users on there even knew what Solana was or how to use it. No, it was remarkable. And I, I was impressed just how many users they were actually able to obtain. But no, fascinating world. I mean, I, I think ultimately it just highlights that where you are early, there's a lot of green grass, a lot of room to build. Kind of looking forward to either the rest of this year or into 2024, are there anything particular that you are either looking forward on the Zeta side or just within crypto more broadly? Great question. Um, on the Zeta side, yeah, we've been super heads down building through this bear market and just reducing tech debt and trying to build new features. So, you know, things have been a tiny bit quiet, but starting to get a bit louder, which is which is good. And it's it's well-timed, I guess, with the Solana comeback. Um, so we're deploying our V2 uh, in a couple of weeks from now, which is pretty exciting. So cross-margin, we completely rewrote our smart contract. So it's it's kind of a lot more efficient now, like all our auto-matching is a lot better. All this kind of stuff that, you know, I guess people don't care about, but it's really nice when you use it. And then we rewrote our whole front end. So it's like way, way faster, like redesigned it. It, it just looks a lot better. So I'm very excited Congrats. for that. We've just been doing, yeah, thanks. We've been doing a bit of a beta rollout. And so far, like the, the feedback has been really positive and people have been enjoying that. So continuing to like grow market share, um, bring more people in and start getting them kind of trading. I, I'm very excited for that. Um, more broadly, I guess, you know, we want to see how can we compete with centralized exchanges, win market share from that. Uh, so thinking, you know, designs around there, there's been a lot more innovation, uh, I guess, on how to tap into the kind of multi-chain network. I've, I've seen people talking about integrations with MetaMask and, you know, bridges seem to be improving with, with every month that passes. So I'm, I'm very excited for that to start being a thing because it's, it's kind of annoying being isolated on this chain and, you know, there's no liquidity to bridge and, you got to start new wallets and stuff like that. Um, so that's been a bit tough. Otherwise, yeah, I'm like keen to see this DeFi revival. I think it's been a long time in the making, not just on Solana. I think kind of across the whole ecosystems, like NFTs have had the limelight. Gaming had its very short limelight moment. And I think like <laughs> DeFi is back um, on Solana. I think it's going to be driven a lot by this LST uh, adoption, which will be really cool. More people hopefully taking their money out of this, uh, you know, staking stuff and actually getting the liquid staking token, putting it back into DeFi. There's a lot of capital kind of locked up there that I think can be used a lot better. Uh, and I think the products are really starting to mature very quickly. Um, so it'll be fun. And even I'm not like deploying that much of my like personal capital into all these like yield strategies. So I'm looking back, you know, looking forward to getting back into, you know, farming and, and doing all this kind of fun stuff and, and seeing this kind of a uh, flywheel get going again. Solana Summer 2.0. Let's run it back. Exactly. Hell yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, it was a really fun conversation, Tristan. Uh, really appreciate kind of diving into the nuance of Zeta, what you and the team are ultimately building there. Congrats on the upcoming product launch. Uh, I know it's no small feat from the engineering side and really appreciate you kind of diving into some of the different technical aspects, whether that be Zeta itself, 
um, the derivative markets, uh, perpetuals, uh, some of the stuff with options, also the Solana architecture. Uh, I think people are really going to enjoy the conversation. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Not at all. Thanks for having me.